Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Uh, I hope that you have engaged in our 40 days of uh, prayer journey, not just by showing up on Sundays, but by working through the journal and the guide. I just got told again, we ran out again today of books. We're going to be trying to gather some more. So if you haven't gotten one yet, uh, we'll, we'll be working this week to try to have more available. But I, I, one of the things I hope and pray is that you have connected with a group I've our, our small group is meeting on this. It was a new group that was formed online, and I've been amazed at how quickly we got into each other's lives by one meeting in Zoom. Um, it was just incredible what, what the Lord did uh, there. And I'm meeting with people from who live in North Carolina. A lady in Kansas is with us. Um, a lady who's about to head for Arizona and moving out there is with us. And then some folks as far away as Goose Creek, South Carolina, are with us too. So um, it's, it's a good group. I'm grateful for that. One of the powerful pieces of this uh, is the daily time with the Lord. And I am just finding great joy in just allowing God's word to wash over my mind about prayer. And God's word is replete, which is filled with um, passages of scripture that help us understand how to connect with God through prayer. And that's what our journey is about, is getting more connected to our, our, our Father in prayer. One of the ways that um, I know that we connect with people is when we come to really know them. And so part of like our journey in, in our small group was just trying to get to know each other a little bit last time. Um, in, in prayer, it's very, very important that you know who you're talking to. How many of you remember, have, let me do it this way. How many of you have never seen the original version of The Wizard of Oz? We had three, I think, in the first service. Never seen it before. Anybody in here? We got one. Okay. Okay. It's good. I, I would encourage you one day to, to, to see it. It's a, just a cinematic masterpiece, especially for its day. Um, it was incredible. There's a scene towards the end of the movie. That, the, the journey of the movie is basically, you know, this girl has a, a, a dream, and um, she dreams about, you know, all kinds of things. She ends up being a part of this little band of of what become friends. They're kind of weird, strange characters, but they all eventually are trying to head for a common goal to this place called Oz so they can kind of get their wishes granted for them. And so they finally make it to the land of Oz after overcoming all kinds of obstacles. And uh, once they're there, they finally get a, a permission uh, is granted for them to come into the castle and uh, kind of have a meeting with Oz, the wizard. And they come into the meeting, and then he decides not to meet with them um, and says they'll have to come back later. And there's this scene where um, they're, they're in the, this room, and they're kind of shaking because he's got this booming voice. And the girl, uh, main character, Dorothy, has a dog named Toto. Yep, Toto. And Toto jumps out of her arms, runs over to this curtain, and he pulls back the curtain and there is the wizard. He's just this dude, you know, this, this old man kind of thing. And he's speaking into this booming microphone, and it shakes the room. And, you know, he says, I'm the powerful and great Oz, and you will have to come back 
because I'm not ready to mess with you. I don't know what he says, but something like that. And, uh, but the dog pulls the curtain back, and they see him speaking into this microphone. And then there's this great line where he, he realizes he's been seen, and he pulls the curtain back real quickly, and he says, Oz says, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, because he didn't want to be known. He didn't want to be seen. People have all kinds of misconceptions about God that they pray to. Some of them think he's a little bit like the wizard who just bellows out all these rules, all these things you can and can't do, uh, doesn't really have time for you when you want time with him, and that's not true. All kinds of misconceptions about God. Great theologian A.W. Tozer um, said these words. He says, what I believe about God is the most important thing about me. And that is so true. It's probably no more true in any area of our life than, than in prayer. Because understanding who God really is will shape what you do in prayer. It will, it will build up or tear down your prayer life. And so if you have this false image of God like he's the man behind the curtain, it'll wreck your prayer life. You know, some people think he's more like uh, a Clint Eastwood character. You know, go ahead, make my day, you know, kind of guy. Did y'all love that impression? Nobody really said, yeah, that was, no. get out of here. Um, some people think of him like a cosmic genie. You know, you just put him on a shelf, and when you need him, you pull him off, rub him real good so he gives you what you want. You know, they're, they're just these misconceptions. Some people think of him as Santa Claus, that he's got a naughty and nice list. He's running everywhere, doing that kind of thing. Did anybody have a Gumby, uh, that Gumby toy? Yeah, he had a Gumby. You know, you could form him anywhere you want it to, and he'd have to stay in that pose or whatever, you know. Um, some of us have an image of God like that, that we can just kind of pose him any way we want to to get him to do what, what we want him to do. I told you last week, I've, I've been trying to walk with God in prayer for a little over 40 years, and 38 of those years in, in, in ministry with other people, I've tried to help others do that too. And one of the things that I want us to think about today, and I think this is the number one killer over those years, I've, I've found this to be like the number one killer of prayer life. And that's not knowing who God really is based upon who God says he is. And one of the things I found out in conversation is it's, it's not really possible to have a, a, a good, deep um, conversation with somebody if you don't know them in fact sometimes if you have a conversation with somebody and you don't really know them bad things can happen early in my ministry I was on staff at another church and um, we got a call at that church that uh, Mr. Bailey had been involved in a car accident several days before and had a head injury and um, I had actually gone, I'd never met Mr. Bailey. He was not a member of our church. One of his daughters was. And I had actually gone to high school with her. And so um, when the call came in, I said, you know, I'd go visit Mr. Bailey. So I get to the hospital and um, tell them who I'm there to see. And uh, they didn't have that first name, but they had a, a, another Mr. Bailey. And I, so I assumed that's who it was. And um, they said, well, he's, he's in the psychiatric ward. I said, oh, Okay. 
So um, I go to that, that wing of Trident Hospital. This was like 1985-ish, 86-ish, something like that. I go to that wing of the hospital, and I'm introduced to Mr. Bailey. I meet him, and I have, start having this conversation with him. And because I went to high school with you know, his daughters, I, looking for common ground, I start talking about Jill and Jackie and asked him how they were doing. And you know, we, we have this conversation, and he's kind of not you know, with it and that kind of thing. And so anyway, I, I get back to um, the church and our, our secretary at the, at the time, her name was Zelda Mishu. It's an interesting name. But uh, Zelda, um, when I came back in, she, I, I said, I got to see Mr. Bailey and um, he's, he's okay. I mean, he's not, uh, doesn't seem to be injured, but he's just struggling emotionally. And she said, Joe, I just got a call. Mr. Bailey went home two days ago. I had just about convinced this man he had two daughters. <laughs> and so I called the hospital up. I tell him what I did. And eventually the guy said, you might need to come in for him to, you know, get that he does not have two daughters, that he's forgotten. And so I do. I go back up there and, and see, so you can have a conversation with somebody. And if you don't really know the person, I'm telling you, it can go really bad. It can just go really bad. So if, if you want to, to have good conversation with God, you got to know him not as a, a guy behind a curtain because your God wants to be known. Though he's unseen, he, he wants to be known by you. And so God's done some powerful things. He's given us really two powerful gifts so that we might know him. The first was giving us his son. Now, these verses that I'm about to give you are not in your notes. They're not going to come up on the screen. So if you want to capture them, you may want to write them down. The first is Hebrews 1.3. Hebrews 1.3 says about Jesus is that he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation, the exact representation of his nature. That's who Jesus is. He's the exact representation of the very nature of God. Colossians 1.15 says this. Jesus is the exact likeness of the unseen God. Exactly like God. And so if you want to, for those of you who are visual learners, we talked about learning a couple weeks ago. Um, if you're a visual learner, you need to look at Jesus. You need to look at his life. You need to look at his teachings. You need to look at his interactions as recorded in the Gospels. You need to look to Jesus. Then there are others of us who may, who may learn by, by reading. And so guess what God did? God gave us a book. It's a written record of his interaction with humanity in which he puts on display all of his characteristics. All of them. He tells us who he is like, what he's like, what it's like to follow him and to walk with him. Now today, I want us to focus on one of, of those characteristics. There are a lot of them, and we've, we've done series on the characteristics of God before around here. But I want us to deal with one. It's the one that I think, if you don't get this one, you can get some of the others. But if you don't get this one, your, your prayer life will foundationally kind of crumble one day. If, you don't, if, you're, if you're not certain about this particular characteristic of God. And it's the characteristic of his goodness. God is good. If God is not good, every prayer you pray is futile. And if God is not good, you have no reason to pray. But God is good. Some of you who are really sharp at spelling will realize you can't spell good without G-O-D, without God. You, 
guys over there doing this. Okay, so it might have been a little lame, but it works. You know, all throughout the, the Bible, writers, different writers inspired by the Holy Spirit came to the very same conclusion. God, God is good. In Psalm, Psalm 105, verse 5, it says this, For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever. And that message, that theme can be found throughout all of Scripture. In 1 Chronicles 16, these were in your notes that, I, that, that you could download, but in 1 Chronicles 16, in 2 Chronicles 5.13, in Ezra chapter 3, verse 11, in Psalm 25.8, in 86.5, in 106.1, and 107.1, and 118.1, in Jeremiah 33.11, and Nahum 1.7, and on and on and on you go, the biblical writers declared the goodness of God. And because God is good... We can pray. And there are, there, there are lots of ways that that, Im, that knowledge of God's goodness impacts our lives, specifically our prayer lives. I want to look at four of those big impact areas today. The first one is this. The goodness of God, because God is good, it means that God's plans for my life are good. Always. God's plans for my life are always good. Now, many of you know this passage of Scripture from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 and 12. It says this. God says, I know what I'm planning for you, says the Lord. I have good plans for you, not plans to hurt you. I will give you hope, and I will give you a good future. Now, watch the connection to prayer. Then you will call my name. You will come to me and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Did you see the connection to being captured by the goodness of God and your prayer life. You will not be drawn into deep, intimate prayer life with God until you understand his goodness, until you understand that his plans for you are good for a future and a good hope. God, that's God's plan. But if you think other than that of God or the plans he has for you, then your prayer life will always only go so deep and eventually will kind of just kind of crumble around you. See, what you believe about God as you come to him in prayer will either delight you or depress you. It will either, you know, draw you in or it will drive you out. Of, of time in prayer with God, what you believe about the goodness of God. And knowing that God's plans for you are good will entice you to discover them, will draw you in so that you, you can say, okay, if God's plans are good, then I want to get in on those plans. Well, how do, how do we do that? Before I tell you how to do that, just think, think with me for a moment. God created you. And God could have created you without a plan in mind. He could have just created you and said, Okay, you're here now. Good luck. Wish you the best. But the Bible says that God created you, and, and while you were being formed in your mother's womb, before you were being formed there, God had a plan for you, and it, and it was a good plan. And he, he does that because he loves you. So he cares about you. You matter to him. And so he didn't just create you. He put thought in creating you. He thought about you. And so we need to think about how do I, how do I get in on those plans for, from God for my life? Well, there's only one way. The only way that you will ever know God's plan for your life is through direct revelation, divine revelation, where God himself reveals to you his plans for your life. 
And one of the greatest pathways for understanding and coming to know God's plan for your life is through prayer. It's being connected to God through prayer. And that's why the, the, the guy who wrote most of the prayers in the Bible, there's one guy who wrote most of the prayers in the Bible, the guy by the name of David, King David, okay? And he wrote most of the Psalms, most of those are, are prayers. It's known uh, really in Jewish life, it was, it was one of their prayer books, and David over and over and over again declared in the Psalms that he wrote, the prayers that he wrote about God's goodness. In Psalm 31, he said it this way, how great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you. That word fear is about revere you, honor you, get who you are really, God. And so did you notice it said stored up? God has some, his plans are stored up. God's blessings for your life are, are stored up because God thought about them in advance. He knows what he wants, the, the good things he has for you. And so God has planned to bless you. Even from this point forward, there, there are blessings of God. Well, why does he do that? Because you're so good? No. Because he is good. Remember, David cried out how great is your goodness. It's just this incredible thing. And you don't have all of them yet. That, that passage goes on to say that, God, you have wrought these for those who take refuge in you, and you display them before the sons of men. So God, God has special blessings for those who come to him for refuge, but he also displays his blessing to you publicly. God wants to display how he's blessing you in a public environment so that God will get glory. And so one of the reasons that I want, one of the reasons I, I, I know that uh, God wants is for you to con connect with all of his blessing is so that the world can see and so that you will declare the goodness of God. You will talk about how good he is. But we have to seek that. One of the passages of Scripture, it's not going to come up on the screen, it's not in your notes, but I've, I've told you we're going we're gonna to reference it every week, probably over the next six weeks, is this. James chapter 4, verse 2 tells us this, that you have not because you ask not. One of the reasons that so many Christ followers do not have uh, what you need in your life is because you're not, you're not asking God for it. And what David wrote a moment ago about the goodness of God is he's waiting. He's waiting to bless you, waiting to, to pour out something on you. Now, some of you are saying, Joe, I pray, but my circumstances right now aren't good. Right now in this moment, my life is touched by evil. I'm dealing with, you know, a sickness or I'm dealing with a, a relational meltdown. So that must mean God is mad at me since I'm not getting in on those good plans. Um, I've heard some people say this before. Right now, I think God's trying to get even with me. Do you know how moronic that statement is? He is God. He can't get even with you or me. That's not in him. God is, because he's so good. Some people say, well, Joe, if God's so good, you know, what gives? Because right now we're in this pandemic, and I got to wear this, I'm not going to use that word, this mask, you know, and I got to do this, and I got to do that. 
Right now, it doesn't feel like my life is good. Where are those good plans? God never said that we would not have struggles or pain or suffering. What God said is the plans I have for you are good. He also said in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that he is able to take everything, everything, and work it together for your good if you love him and are called according to his purposes. He can do all of that, no matter what lame brain mess up you made of your life. God has the capacity to work it out for good. But what, we, what we've got to realize is we live on a broken planet. You know that, right? You know? And your body, it's, it's breaking down. I've become more aware of that in the last 10 years. Just getting out of bed, my body says, I'm breaking. I'm breaking. You know, our minds, our, our minds are breaking down. All kinds of things are breaking down. The weather is broken, not the way God intended it to be. Our economy's broken. Our, our nation right now. Our nation is broken. And sometimes we think when we got problems, you know, and I'm praying and God says he's got good plans, but I'm not living in the good plan right now. What's up? We forget that God did not say that we could, would have perfection right now. God, God never said that we would have perfection here. God said that goodness can be experienced, but perfection is for those who have trusted Jesus in the days ahead. Remember what that place is called? What's it called? Heaven. That's the promise. That's the perfect place. That's the place where there's no sickness or death or disease or dying or masks. None of those things. No sorrow of any kind. But right now, there's brokenness in this world. Yesterday, up here, we did a memorial service for a lady named Peggy Hudspeth. Peggy came to River Bluff eight, nine, ten years ago. She came after having walked away from God. She had uh, made a decision for Christ as a, as, a, as a girl. And then as she aged and reached her teenage years in her 20s, she, she just kind of walked away from the Lord. And about 10 years ago, came back. Came back. Came back to this church. Um, she came on an Easter. And uh, her life was kind of in, in a little bit of a mess. And... Um, she told her sister who had invited her, well, it was actually her brother-in-law invited her, that she didn't have anything to wear, that all she had was like jeans and a t-shirt, and her sister said, you'll be accepted there. There'll be people there with flip-flops and shorts on. And of course, there were that Easter. And she, she comes, and she's loved by you people. you just ridiculously loving people. You loved on this person. And she felt at home, and she felt embraced and God got a hold of her life. And she started growing in her faith. She was here every Sunday. And it was just cool to watch Peggy's life transform. Eventually she got to the place where she said, I don't know that what I did when I was a girl, that I really trusted Jesus. But I, I'm trusting him now. And I want to go public with that. And so we baptized Peggy right up there. And it was a joyous day. And just a couple of years after that, about six years ago, five years ago, um, Peggy began to having some, some struggles, and um, they 
were mystified as what was going on because all of her struggles looked like dementia. And she was just too young for dementia. And eventually, they finally, the diagnosis came in that she had early onset dementia. And it was very early. The doctors were just, some of them said they'd never seen a case that, that young of early onset dementia. And yesterday, we, we did a service for her, and there was this video of pictures of Peggy's life, even the last five years of her life, where dementia racked her body, racked her mind. But one thing that did not change, her, both her sister and her daughter testified to this um, as they were sharing yesterday, her countenance and demeanor didn't change. There was still a joy about Peggy, and while she was able to, to still see because blindness uh, captured her too, um, she would still serve. She had, she had worked in the medical profession, and while she was in some of the care facilities she was in, she thought she was still a nurse, and she would want to go serve people, and she'd want to know which patient she was being assigned some days, and you know that was, that was just who she was. And that, that lasted throughout her last days, but Peggy was living in a broken world, and brokenness affected her, but it did not rob her of the joy she had in Christ. There's goodness, even in painful things that, that we face. God says, you know, there's going to be pain. Sometimes you're going to make bad choices, and they're going to affect you and others, but God says, I'm greater. My goodness is greater than your choices. My goodness is greater Friends, please remember this. Don't ever forget this. You serve a God that turned the cruelest form of death, crucifixion, into the most beautiful thing of life, resurrection. That's how good God is. And we've got to keep that front and center in our brains. So it means even though we face evil, sometimes you're going to have people in your life who intend to harm you. And God can work that out for good. Some of you know the story of Joseph, not, not Jesus' earthly dad, but Joseph, uh, the one who brothers sold him into slavery, the one who, um, you know, was falsely accused of, uh, of a crime, the one who got thrown into prison and eventually became the second in command of the greatest nation of that day, Egypt. And one day his brothers who had sold him into slavery come before him in, in need. And in, in these words, Joseph communicates the truth to them about what he understood God had done through all of those details. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, uh, Joseph said this to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Because God is always good. God is so good. God has good plans. Even though somebody may intend to harm you, be, pour evil out on you, God God in his goodness can take care of that. And that's why Paul was able confidently to write to Christians in Rome and why we can be confident too. Paul writes these words in, in Romans chapter 5. He says, we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials for we know that they are good for us. They help us learn to be patient. Now, that, some people would say that, that feels like a sadomasochistic verse. That, that just like, there's, you know, just bring on the pain. That's not what the verse is saying. What, the, what God's word is saying here is even though we will encounter those things, we can still find joy because we know a good God is working even in the midst of this suffering to 
conform me to the image of Jesus, to make me more patient like Jesus, to make me more long-suffering like Jesus, to make me more loving like Jesus, so that in the hand of God, even our pain and trials and suffering in the hand of a good God can be something good for us, forging us to be more like Jesus. Now, God, God's plans are always good. God is always good. And God's goodness does something else specifically for our prayer life, and it's this. The goodness of God means instead of getting what I deserve, and this will impact your prayer life, instead of getting what I deserve, what I get is what I need. If God gave you or me an ounce of what I deserved, or you an ounce of what, we'd all be toast. We'd all, we'd all be toast if we got what we deserve. Again, the book of Psalms says this. It says, he has not punished us as we deserve for all our sins. He's not punished us for, for all of our sins. Why? Because Jesus paid a price on the cross. Je- Jesus paid for your sins. He paid for all the wrong you ever did and ever will do. If you had to pay for your own sins while Jesus had already paid for it, that's some kind of double jeopardy something, I'm sure, in legalese. But so that, that won't happen. If you've put your trust in Christ, you will never have to pay in any way for your sin because it was all paid for by Jesus. You'll never have to pay for your sins. Because, see, God's not going to treat you that way with what you deserve. He's not going to ever pay you back for wrongs that you do because his goodness. Look at, look at the rest of that passage of Scripture. It says, for his mercy toward those who fear him and honor him is as great as the height of heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. His mercy, which his good, uh, mercy flows out of his goodness, is great. So great that it separates our sin from us completely separates our sin from us. God, See, God, in, in his goodness, not only doesn't give us what we deserve, but he does something else. He, he pours God's, his own goodness into us. I, I want to say, if, if, you, if, you, if you're here today and you find yourself repetitively struggling, struggling with some type of sin, maybe it is from a hurt or a hang-up or a habit, it may be something like an addictive pattern to something or something like that, I, I want you to write down Psalm 51, 1 and 2. Just write down Psalm 51, 1 and 2. It's not going to come up on the screen. But there's this great prayer of, of David, the guy who wrote most of the prayers in the Bible, remember him? David, who was uh, you know, eventually made king of Israel, David... Um, went on to commit adultery. And the woman who he committed adultery with, he had her husband murdered. Two really big sins, according to the scriptures. He's a murderer, he's an adulterer. And David goes to God in Psalm 51, and David just cries out to God. He, he, He just says, God, have mercy on me according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. Did David go to God and say, well, now, God, I know what I did over here, but you know I've been pretty good over here? No. David went straight to God's goodness. He said, God, I'm coming at your mercy. I'm coming to you for mercy. God, I'm coming, I'm coming to you because you're compassionate. I know who you are. God, would you grant me mercy? Would you grant me your compassion? 
God, because I know in your goodness you can, uh, you can wash away my sin. You can restore me to purity. You can make my life white as snow. See, David appealed to the goodness of God. That's what, that's what David did. If you ever try to go to God seeking forgiveness based on your own goodness, you might as well not waste those words. God can never forgive based on your own goodness. It's always based on his goodness. We'll never experience forgiveness for, for the goodness that we just have of ourselves. But here's, here's a really powerful part of God's goodness. When you go to God and you ask for forgiveness, he grants forgiveness. And then God does something that we humans don't normally do. God pulls you in close. Most of the time when you and I sin against somebody, what we experience is rejection. They push us away. They, they may say, I forgive you, but they, they push us away. They, they, just, they don't necessarily want to be around us. God immediately receives you back. He, re- he immediately pulls you in. See, one of the greatest fears every human being has is the fear of being rejected, of, of being ultimately fully known and yet rejected because of that, because we're all broken like that. And we all have experiences with one another, with human beings, where we have been rejected when we've done something wrong, we've asked for forgiveness, and yet we're, we're still rejected. And sometimes it happens in our deepest relationships. Some of you remember feeling rejected maybe by a parent. Maybe they withheld love as a way of punishment. Maybe they didn't mean to. Maybe it was just their own hurt pushed them away from you, but you experienced rejection. Sometimes adult children reject their parents, and it hurts. It, it, it stings. But here's one of the things that will never happen with God. God will never push you away. He will never reject you, ever. He will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never push you away. Not God. Psalms 27, we read these. Even if my father and my mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. Some of you are, are, are suffering for, through the pain of rejection by a human being who loves you. And sometimes you transfer that onto God. That is not God, friends. He's too good for that. The, the, the Lord will draw you close. You can be confident in the goodness of God, which means you can seek him in prayer. You can go to him that way. He's a good, good father. He'll never, ever reject you. And, and that's why it's so important to, to grasp the goodness of God as you approach God and, and why Hebrews 4 can be so powerful to us. It tells us this about Jesus. Jesus, the son of God, understands our weakness. He understands your weakness. He understands your struggle, your pain, where you stumble. For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So, because of that, because you're understood by God, so we can come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. You know what he's talking about there, coming boldly? You know what that's about? Prayer. It's about coming to God in prayer. And then he says this, there we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it. Right when you need the goodness of God, the grace of God, go to him in prayer. Run there immediately because he's always good. Jesus describing himself as recorded by the gospel writer John said this. He said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. 
just as my Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep, for those that, that I know. See, here's the truth about God's goodness. God's goodness is so deep that he, he even extends himself out there so it costs him to love you. It cost him to love me at a great cost to himself. The Bible says he laid down his life, which means he put his own needs above your own. He, he put, I mean, excuse me, he put your needs above his own. That's how much he loves you. You may want to write this verse down. It's not going to come up. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 tells us this, that, that what God did on the cross is God took the sinless Jesus and he poured your sin. He took your sin and he poured it on and into Jesus. And the Bible tells us when Jesus was on the cross, he became sin. The Bible says he knew no sin, but he became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. Which means this, not only is God so good that he forgives your sin, but he wipes it out and he also exchanges your sin for the goodness of Jesus. And friends, this is the heart of the gospel. This is one of the reasons that one of the reasons that I know that the, the gospel of Jesus is not a legend and is not a fairy tale. Because in most every legend or fairy tale that you read, what you always read is that the peasants and the soldiers and the slaves are always fight for the king, save the king. In the gospel of Jesus, the king sacrifices himself for us peasants. It's the beauty of the gospel, friends. He sacrifices at, at great cost to himself. Because he is so good, he sacrifices for us. But the story doesn't end in the king's death. No, look at, look at Romans chapter 4. It says this, he died for our sins and rose again to make us right with God, filling us with God's goodness. It's in the resurrection that you get the power of being filled with the goodness of God. See, in God's eyes, if you've put your trust in Jesus, God doesn't see your, your sin anymore. All he ever sees in you is the goodness of, of Jesus. Here's what that means. It means if tonight, let's say you go to bed at 10 o'clock. If tonight at 9 o'clock you do some really dumb sin, you go to bed, and in your sleep you die, and you wake up in heaven, you may wake up startled, that you're in heaven, and you may be standing before God. And one of the first things that may run through your mind is, oh my gosh, that nine o'clock sin. God, I, need, I, need to, I just need to tell you about this, this sin. I need to ask for forgiveness. You know what God's going to do? God, I'm going to say, huh? What are you talking about? I, I don't know what you're talking about. When God's word said he put your sin as far as the east is from the west, when God says he remembers, chooses to remember your sin no more, God, God does not see your sin if you're in Christ. That's how good he is. All he sees is Jesus' goodness in you. Friends, that impacts how you pray, knowing that that's who God is. That's how, that's how, how good he is. He, he wiped it all out. That's his amazing grace. That's why we call it amazing it's, his grace is just that great. And that's, that's what makes prayer possible. That's what makes it powerful. 
what Jesus did on the cross. Remember Romans 8, verses 31 through 32. It says this, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. What it's saying, he sent his son to die for us. He sent his son to to, to take the, the, the penalty. He said, I'm committed to you. And then it goes on to say, since God didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In other words, if, if God would go to that length for you, then doesn't it make sense that something like prayer, communing with God, sharing with God your needs, seeing him meet your needs through prayer, answering, answering your prayer, wouldn't that make sense? If you knew that he was that good, and he loved you that much, surely if he would do all that, surely he's good enough to hear your prayers and answer them. Third thing that I want you to know about the goodness of God, it means all of my request will not always be given a yes. All, all of my requests will not be given a yes. Now, I talked a little bit about this last week. I'm just going to touch on it real briefly this morning, but it's just this. God, God doesn't ever tell us in this word that he will always give you what you ask for. Because sometimes you ask from a narcissistic personality disorder. We all have one of those sometimes, you know. Um, we, we just, we get self-centered. We just, we, we just are thinking about ourselves only. So we make requests like that. And, and God, God's not going to always answer yes. Because sometimes we ask for things that we don't know the full weight of what it would cost for to, maybe to us or somebody else if God would answer that. Um, in Matthew chapter 20, there's a story where James and John, two of the disciples of Jesus, their mommy comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I got a, I got a request. So she's praying. She's saying, God, I, I'm asking you to do something. And, and Jesus says, what are you asking me to do? And she says, um, when, when you come into your kingdom, I would like for one of my sons to sit on your left hand and the other son to sit on your right hand. You can kind of already see James and John going, Mom, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, but this is what she's asking for. And, and you know what Jesus told her? You don't know what you're asking for. You, you don't know what you're asking for. The suffering your sons would have to take, have to go through for that kind of position, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to see that as their mom. And so sometimes God tells us no, because we don't know. Isaiah chapter 55 tells us that we don't know God's thoughts. He says his thoughts are higher than ours. His ways are higher than ours. We don't, we don't understand them, and because God is so good, Sometimes he will not give us what we ask for. You know, last week I told you that, you know, God could basically answer prayer in one of three ways. He could say yes, he could say no, he could say not yet. I want, I want us to think about that just a little bit differently today. Uh, years ago when I used to teach this class called 201, when we got to the, it was about discovering spiritual maturity. And uh, part of the teaching on prayer was that when God answers prayer, there, there are basically four words that you can use to see how God answers prayer. The first one is no. God can say no because the Bible tells us if you ask for wrong motivation, God's answer is going to be no. The other is it could be God could say slow because right now the, the timing's not right. So he could say no or he could say slow. It's not, not the right time. going to answer that. Your request is not bad, but it's just the timing's not right. 
So he could say, no, we're slow. God could also say, grow. Not yet, because if I were to give you that right now, if I was to, were to give you that, that money right now, your character couldn't hold it. If I were to give you that assignment right now, it would crush you. I can't give that to you right now. So you got to grow. So he could say, no, slow, or grow. Or then God could say, timing's right, your character's ready, all systems go, boom. So those are ways that God can kind of answer our prayer. And we need to kind of understand so we, we look and, and, and we kind of see what's going on. Because all of that is a response, uh, God's response, out of his goodness to you. Because he loves you so much. Fourth and last thing, and this is going to go quickly. The goodness of God means that he invites me to live with him forever. Because God is so good, remember David said, God, your goodness is great, which means it's vast, it's mega, it's huge. God's goodness is eternal. It's not just for, for the here and now. God doesn't want to just show up and give you, let's, let you see some of his goodness for a little while. He, it's an eternal thing. God wants to bless you out of his goodness eternally because God is always good and always lasts into eternity. He's always good. And that's why Paul was able to write to the church at Thessalonica these words in his second letter. He says, he says this, and it's a prayer. He says, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort. That's, that's heaven. Eternal, that's what heaven is. It's going to be eternal comfort because it will never end. The comfort of God will never end. And then it goes on to say, and he gives us a good hope through grace. God's goodness, the hope that we have, flows through God's goodness, his, his grace. And it goes on to say, and, and, and that it will also, right now, God wants this knowledge, this comfort that you have, this, this comfort that lasts for, for all eternity, it would comfort your heart here and now. Anybody other than me need their heart comforted these days? I mean, I'm just being serious. There are days right now where things will get so caught up in all the details of the mess of this planet and this pandemic. I sometimes feel it in my chest. I feel the tension, you know, just, just kind of pressing in. And so that verse becomes alive for me. God, comfort my heart, both my emotional heart and my physical heart, God, because I feel the tension in my body. But it goes on to say this. It says, and establish that comfort in every good work and word, good word. And what God is saying is, <clears throat> I want to still be good to you, but I want to be good through you to other people. That, that, th those words right there about what he wants to do is gospel work and gospel words that he will give us because we have eternal hope. And so we have to stay focused on our eternal hope, the goodness of God that over the expanse of all of eternity. we got to stay focused on that. And that's why it's so important for you and for me to have his word planted in our minds, in our hearts so that when we encounter difficulties in this world, we'll be able to, to think and meditate on verses like Psalm 23, verse 6. You, you need to memorize the 23rd Psalm, by the way. But Psalm 23, verse 6 tells me this. Surely, certainly, 
Absolutely. No question about it. Goodness. God's goodness. His mercy, which is like saying his goodness, goodness, will follow me all the days of my life, right? It's going to be with me here all the days of my life. And then where's it going to go with me? And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord how long? Forever. His goodness lasts forever. And because of that, I want to, I want to talk about that. I want to do good work and, 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 and good words about the gospel because that's who God is. He's, he's so good. Now, somebody may say, Joe, okay, I give. God's good. You can, you can quit beating that drum. Well, I'm not going to. Because his goodness is so essential to your prayer life that if you were off just a little bit. You know, when, when NASA creates the trajectory of a rocket that's going to the moon, if they're off by an inch here, they'll be off by miles out there. It's got to be precise. And the same is true of your, of your life. If you are missing out on the true goodness of God, when you, when you come to God in prayer, you may only be off an inch to start with. But if you continue in that misconception of God, you're going to get way far away from him. And one day you're going to look back and say, what happened? And I'm telling you, mostly it's probably because you were operating uh, of a knowledge base of God that's not about God, not as he's revealed himself in, your, in his word. And here's what will happen. Prayer will start to feel pointless to you. And once prayer starts to feel pointless, there'll be no power and there'll be no passion. There'll be none if prayer begins to be pointless to you. But as you come to know the true goodness of God, know God for who he really is, know how much he loves you, then your prayers will move from pointless to poignant. And God will fill your prayer life with power. And you'll see the purpose, and you'll be drawn into that. You'll see that coming. Two verses, and I'm going to shut down here. Psalm 119 says this, God, turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word. I long to obey your commandments. Renew my life with your goodness. If you want to experience the goodness of God, if you want your life renewed by the goodness of God, one of the first things that's got to happen is you have to have your eyes turned from worthless things. From, from worthless things. And the truth is, you can't do that by yourself. You've got to have God help you do that, to, to get your eyes off of worthless things. And so you've got to go to God and say, dear God in heaven, draw me back to yourself. Father, I'm coming back. I, I, God, I, I, want, I want my life to be connected to your life. God, I want your goodness, and I need your help, God. I need your good help to come back into your goodness. And so we need to pray that passionately and wholeheartedly. And here's, here's the way I would encourage you to pray it. It's out of Lamentations chapter 5, verse 21. And I love the way the message paraphrases this verse. This is what it says. Bring us back to you, God. We're ready to come back. God, give us a fresh start. You know what that's a prayer for? It's a prayer for revival. It's a prayer where you're saying, God, I need you. God, I realize that I've missed your goodness and I've, I, 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 I'm, I'm far away from you. I don't pray the way I, I want to. I want to commune with you in prayer. I want to delight in, in prayer, God. I don't want to wander around. 
And so we need to pray, God, revive us. God, bring us back. God, revive my heart. God, revive my family. God, revive my church. God, revive River Bluff Church. God, revive, revive our nation. And here's what I, I just want to, I want to encourage you to pray that prayer from Lamentations. For, really for the, the, the rest of our time together through 40 days. Just cry out to God, bring us back to you, God. Bring us back to you, God. We're ready to come back. God, will you give us a fresh start? And God's word says out of his goodness, he always will. If we will passionately ask for his movement, God's waiting to bless us with that. Let's pray. God, we come right now seeking you. Abba, you are, you are so good. We, we know that about you. But we come to you right now in this moment. We come, we come as people who are in pain. Some suffering, God, immense emotional trauma, God. Some, some struggling with just deep and painful disease. Some, God, that are in desperate need of, God, healing from you. But we know those things don't describe your goodness. Those are our need. But we come, God. We come seeking you. We, we're coming back to you, God. Some of us have walked away in places in our life, and we're coming back to you, God. Bring us back to you, God. We can't even do it on our own. Bring us back is our prayer. And so we come now. In Jesus' name, seeking, seeking fellowship with you through prayer. And so our hearts cry now is, God, revive us. God, bring revival to us. Renew us. Revive your people. We ask for this because we know that you're good. And you have good plans for us. You have plans to revive us. And you've been waiting on us to ask for it. And we haven't had it because we haven't asked. So we come asking now, God. We ask for you to send revival. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. I'm going to ask you, if you would, as an act of worship, as an act of seeking God, and, and asking for revival, I'm going to ask you to, to join me by standing, masking up, and, and, and making this song a prayer, a prayer for revival as we worship our word together.
save all things are possible the darkest night you can light it up you can light it up you're the god of revival let hope arise death is overcome
I don't have any earthly idea what stronghold you may be facing right now, but God does. I, I don't know what chain you're in captivity or bondage to, but God does. And God may just be waiting on you to cry out to Him, to call on Him, to seek His face because you know He's good and He doesn't want you stuck. And when you call out to Him, asking God to revive you, as crying out to God, God, bring us back, bring me back, God. God's word to you is, I'm setting you free. I want you free. Jesus came, He said, for your freedom. And the God of revival wants to bring it. And so I, I'm just, I'm asking you to join me in praying, God, God of revival, bring us back. Bring us back to you, not to a political party, not to a, an ideology, not to a philosophy. God of revival, bring us back to you. Because you are the only thing in this world that's truly good. We come to you, God of revival, in your goodness, seeking you. I pray for these, my friends. I pray your blessings on them. I pray, God, they will find you as they seek you, when they seek you with all their hearts. It's in Jesus' name I pray. God bless you. We'll see you next week.